Special thanks to our Season 10 title sponsor, Bio520. In a world where industrial methods have taken a toll on plant health, Bio520 is a beacon of hope. Drawing from ancient agricultural wisdom and modern biophysics, this all-natural additive is a powerhouse of essential minerals sourced from Japan's rich mountain ranges. It's more than a nutrient, it's a lifeline to your plants. Bio520 is incredibly easy to use. Just add it to your existing irrigation system and watch the magic happen. The results? A chemical-free, shorter growth cycle, robust plants, and significantly reduced water usage. Bio520 doesn't just boost growth, it builds resilience. Plants become more resistant to pests and diseases, ensuring healthier yields. Whether you're a commercial grower or a hobbyist, Bio520 fits right into your setup, enhancing everything from germination to harvest. To learn more, visit bio520usa.com and join the movement towards a greener, more sustainable future in agriculture. With Bio520, you're not just growing plants, you're nurturing a legacy. The thing about like the trade shows is you get like a lot of leads and you have all these opportunities, but if you don't have like this really great like internal system to manage everyone better, then it almost you lose you leave a lot of money on the table. And so we've decided that we're going to be working on a couple of our internal systems, make sure that our online presence is better, and I think that'll be several months and then once we feel really good on that then we'll start going back to shows with our new perspectives welcome to the vertical farming podcast weekly conversations with fascinating ceos founders and ad tech visionaries join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host harry duran Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 10. Regular listeners, welcome back. Thank you so much for supporting the show week in and week out. I really appreciate everything you do to spread the word about the work we're doing to share stories of some inspiring folks from the world of CEA. And if this is your first time listening, you are in the right place because this is a show where we interview these founders and CEOs of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran, podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies, and founder of our podcast agency, Fullcast. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Daniel Plant. He is the inspiring mind behind Plant Dynamics. We talked about his life in the Canadian Armed Forces, all the way to becoming a consultant in the ag tech space. Plant Dynamics is doing some fantastic work, helping farmers really with their due diligence in understanding what is required in order to get a project successfully off the ground. This week, we speak to Alex Babich, who I met at a indoor ag con actually a year ago. So it's been a while. And obviously with a lot going on in these conferences, it's hard to keep up to date with all the amazing CEOs and founders I meet, but I'm glad we stayed in contact and I was able to get Alex on this show. We're both New Yorkers. I grew up just outside New York in Yonkers and lived in New York City and Alex lives there now. With his startup Neurovine, it's an incredibly interesting technology that they've created with his co-founder. Neurovine provides an automated dosing and irrigation system which saves farmers time and helps increase their yields. Alex shares how the company got its start from a college competition, how they were able to stay resilient during COVID, and how companies are now using the Neurovine system to help with their irrigation needs. I always love learning more about the intricacies of the systems that do all the heavy lifting behind the scenes. So I learned a lot about advanced and flexible dosing systems, the the importance of appropriate nutrient dosing, and a lot of the AI functionality that Alex and his team have built into the system. So you'll definitely learn a lot. If you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love if you leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. These episodes are full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. Rest assured, you can visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes all guest links as well. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Alex, a few words from the amazing partners that support this show. Whether you're starting up or scaling up, Indoor AgCon is the key to cultivating your business growth. Entering its 11th year, the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming, greenhouse operations, and controlled environment agriculture returns to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on March 11th and 12th, 2024, and co-locates with the National Grocers Association show. The expo floor has expanded significantly to bring together even more new product resources and business solutions to explore. You'll also hear from top experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and other experts during the full-scale educational conference. And don't miss out on valuable networking events connecting you with your peers, 
grocers, and other potential new business partners. As always, I'm grateful for this partnership with Indoor Icon. Vertical Farming podcast listeners can save an additional 20% off already discounted early bird full access conference pass rates with our promo code VFP. Learn more at indoor.ag. This episode is brought to you by our latest and newest podcast, AgTech Weekly Review, your go-to source for the freshest stories shaping the CEA landscape. Hosted by Natasha Coles. Each week, we dive into the fast-moving world of ag tech where innovation meets sustainability and where every story brings us closer to a greener future. Follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast player or visit agtechweeklyreview.com. So Alex Babbage, CEO and founder of Neurovine, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thanks for having me, Harry. I always like to place the listener in a geographically, so where's home mm-hmm. for you? So home is New York City. Okay. I'm working right now out of my apartment. And okay. this is where we started the company and mm. our main office is in Woodstock, New York. So I'm there at least like once or twice a month. Okay. I grew up in Yonkers, so I'm very familiar. And I've lived in New York City, Brooklyn, and Lower East Side. So I think I'll always consider myself a New Yorker <laughs> at heart. I'm currently in Minneapolis, as you could probably tell by some of this wood paneling behind me. But I, I think when I did see your apartment, that my initial thought was maybe New York City, because I was like, this looks like a familiar New York City apartment. So were you born and raised there? That's an interesting question. And it's <laughs> always like, what does it mean if you were born and raised? So I was yeah. actually born in New York until okay. I was about like one or one and a half. Then my parents yeah. decided, you know, I shouldn't be picking cigarettes off the street. And so then <laughs> we moved to upstate New York. It's Carmel, which is like about an yeah. hour north. Yes. And so that's where you must know a little bit. It's a little bit further out than Yonkers, but that's where my brother was born. And then I grew up there until I was 18 years of age. And then that's when I went to college and sort of departed from there. Fun fact for the listener is at one point, Clint Eastwood was the mayor of Carmel. Isn't that correct? Or no, no, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of California Carmel, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I would have known that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I've been to Carmel in California because I was like, wait, is that the Carmel? And I'm like, oh, no, it's in the Carmel, sorry. But you did mention that your headquarters is in Woodstock and a bit of history with that part of the country as well from that music festival. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's a world famous location because of that. And funny enough, like the music festival is in Bethel, yeah. New York, which is maybe like 40 minutes away, but they liked the name Woodstock. So they wanted to name it that. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. worked out from a marketing angle. What was life like growing up there? Carmel? (laughs) It was interesting, I guess. Wasn't like super eventful. So basically, I went to Carmel kindergarten, like public school, and it wasn't really like great for me because I guess I'm just a little bit different. I guess I got put into that like ADHD kid sort of Mm. category. So when I was in kindergarten, like the teacher didn't think I was like able to like work in that classroom. And so then they had me like tested And it turned out like I had like a high IQ. So someone said like, oh, you actually need to go to a different school. So then I ended up going to private school for about seven years Okay, and was there. I think it was, you know, a good experience for me. And then after a while, it didn't seem like it was as useful. So then I went back to to Carmel for the last year of middle school and then graduated there from high school. And then I went off to college in Florida from there. And that's a whole story, but... (laughs) That's Carmel in a certain sense. I think just the phrase college in Florida has probably got its own list. <laughs> you know, just that one phrase, <laughs> yeah, people are imagining spring break, Daytona Beach and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I always loved Florida. Like when I was even in high school, like or middle school, we would travel there. My grandmother lived there. And so I just enjoyed like the weather, yeah. the amusement park, like that kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, it's definitely kind of like a dream for a kid in Carmel. It's like, oh, I'd love to like go to school there. And so I went there, you know, and I had definitely interesting experience. Like I'm sure we could get into it because I have somewhat of a non-traditional like story, but my dad thinks like going there wasn't good, but I disagree. I think it was like a really like pivotal moment for me in my development. Is there one story that you could share? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I'd say like kind of the real change that I had between like high school, college, just like in high school, I never was that interested in school. Like, mm-hmm. and so I did okay. And then I did well enough to get into a couple of schools. Uh, I got into a public school in Florida and a couple of other schools. And I chose that one. And when I started, of course, I was like really interested in the social life. Like I joined a fraternity. I had like a whole entire new like 
social experience that yeah. I've ever had, like loads of friends and was going to the beach, just partying, you know, having a great time. And I did go in as an engineer, but I was like undecided. And then I think it was like maybe my second year is when I really started to like just find math really interesting. Like mm. it was something that I've always kind of like been good at, yeah. but like I never really put a lot of effort into it. And then I started to realize like, oh, I love learning math. Like I want to understand it all. And I started to have these kind of like this vision of like, oh, I really want to know math because I want to like look outside and I want to see equations. Like I want to see the world like in a mathematical way. And I started also like educating myself online. Like that was when like the Khan Academy was mm. like starting off, which it's become like a really big and you know, important thing. Yeah. And I was like, well, why am I like going to these classes? Like, and you know, a lot of the students, they weren't like, they didn't care as much, which I understand, but people like a lot of people go to college, they want to like get a job. They're like, oh, I don't want to go to class. This is hard. I want to get done with this. And so I just was like, well, why do I have to pay money to learn something I could learn online with people that like aren't passionate about it? And so that was like one of the things that was kind of pivotal. And then like another thing I found out about, and this is in, I think, 2010, I found out about the Venus Project, which is basically this guy's idea for like future cities that are self-sustaining. And he's from Florida. And so kind of what ended up happening in this whole tale is that I ended up actually deciding to drop out of school and get picked up and like on the way, go visit this person and go to his like compound, which has like <laughs> his models and his ideas and stuff. And it was a real great experience because he actually he's dead now, but he died at like 101 years old. And so wow. I'm grateful to have had the experience when he was maybe like 95 or something. Wow. And just see, and like the whole idea behind his concept is that it's actually based on like a resource-based economy. So it was like, not based on the amount of money that there was, but more it's like, well, what is the resources that are available? And he thought that like, essentially there are enough resources on earth for everyone to have like a very high standard of living. And in a certain sense, like the monetary system can kind of like get in the way of that, right? And if you think about it, like if you extrapolate it, it's like, imagine that there's so much of everything, like, you know, it's everything's free, right? Like we don't have to pay to breathe air, right? And so like, if, you know, there was like water, everyone had water, food, it was just like, there's too much of it, then the monetary system like almost doesn't make sense. So of course, like, that's been a while and kind of living in the real world where that's still a part, but like definitely like the concept of it, like it does make sense. And it does seem like as we're moving into like the future where things abundance is theoretically on the horizon, like that concept, I think still like holds a lot of weight. Do you think it was that experience and meeting him that kind of brought these, this topic like to the forefront, this idea of like, you know, having enough energy supply to do what we need to do in a way that's not destructive and, you know, this moving towards this idea of essentially what people would call a utopia? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is definitely like a part of it. I mean, it's definitely hard to say, like, if I didn't see this, like, would I have become like, would I be doing what I'm doing today? Or would I be a different person? I think there is a lot of like, kind of like who you are. And then there's like the information that you receive. And I sort of believe there's maybe like a path that's somewhat kind of figured out for people. And then it's just about like the different like moments where you like realize, oh, yeah, like this is the direction that like, you know, I want to go in. But in terms of like getting into vertical farming and thinking about these future cities, like that was definitely something that was like really important. And like I was first thinking about like, oh, like the whole city. And then I was thinking like, OK, this is a city. This is a automated system. This is completely run by robots. And so like, how do you run a self-sustaining city? Well, you obviously need like food. And so obviously there's going to be like farms, which are probably like indoors and like vertical and automated. And so I wanted to go into that. And I guess this is like kind of a separate thing, but, you know, I kind of have just like a very like kind of quite an imagination, I would say. And so like there was a time where I ended up just kind of thinking about this, like a building, like a skyscraper in New York City that was like a completely automated robotic farm that was like growing every single food you could imagine and had this whole system where basically like it was robots were like putting all the food in like cars and the cars were like driving themselves and distributing food throughout the city and even like preparing smoothies and people could like get them from apps and stuff like that. So it's just like the 
extrapolation of like all this like automation and robotics. And that was kind of the idea. Obviously, we didn't quite get to that. But, you know, in a certain sense, like having these kind of out there ideas and then it's like, okay, well, what can I reasonably do? And then is that going into that direction? And then also, you know, the direction, it doesn't necessarily need to be that. I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you're providing value to people, you're making the world a better place. And there's definitely different avenues you could take to do that. That picture you paint reminds me of Dixon Despommier's book, because it's literally what led me down like the rabbit hole. Because The initial impulse was Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance. And then mm-hmm. that obviously led me to Dixon Despommier's book. And there's that vision of a skyscraper. I think the challenge in a place like New York City is obviously the cost of real estate. <laughs> Probably make a project like that very cost prohibitive, but I, it is a very utopian vision. But I think there's so many things happening and or with automation and robotics and efficiencies, I could see a future where something like that would be possible. And it's definitely important to be able to have a big vision and to dream big, I think, sometimes, especially when we're dealing with like these new technologies, because someone's got to have the vision or the idea of, of what it could be. And it helps to move forward. And I think not having that limitation, and I don't know if this is something that's inherent in you and your nature. I know that you know, you've got an engineering background as well. And so I wonder if the computer engineers, I wonder if this is all just the way you think, like in terms of like what's possible. Yeah, certainly. Definitely having the vision makes the incredibly like difficult startup journey, like more bearable, I would say. Like I didn't really have like a lot of like real jobs, but I did work at, as an intern at Con Edison. And I remember like, thinking about like, you know, people are looking to be interns and then get into the system and then work their way up the corporate ladder. And it was a very like, it was like, oh, there's like the one L, the one H, the two L, like, it's just so funny how you can go up these steps. And so I was like, wow, if I would like work here, I like see my future, like right here. And in a sense, like, I'm, I feel like, oh, that's like a ceiling. And it almost feels like, imagine you have this vision and it's like, okay, I'm gonna put this over here. So you can't see it anymore. Like, that's kind of how I felt in a certain sense. And, you know, and I think, not say anything that's wrong with it. Like, I think it's some people really enjoy having careers like that. But you know, for me, it wasn't really what brought joy into my mind. And so I decided that I did want to do something else. And so definitely, that's another reason like why I'm doing what I'm doing. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. And for the benefit of the listener, a little maybe theater of the mind, if you could paint the picture of where you were, you said, looks like you started Nervine in January 2017. So where were you in 2016? At this idea, you were, it sounds like you were still at Con Ed. And this is not something where you've got experience. You've done multiple startups before, or you've been in corporate for like 20 plus years, like I was. But so enabled mm-hmm. and having that experience, or maybe not having that experience, open you up to possibilities of what's possible. So I'm, but I'm just curious, origin stories always fascinate me. So how was this idea percolating for you for Neurovine? Yeah, absolutely. So Florida was earlier. And then, like I said, I dropped out, but then I decided I did want to go back to school. And so, you know, I I sort of, I don't even hear it. I only hear it maybe when I'm on a call or podcast. But anyway, yeah, so kind of getting back into the chronological story. So I ended up going to City College to, I was like, you know what, I do want to resume my education. Definitely came into it in like a way better place where I was obviously had that motivation of, you know, really being passionate about learning. So like, that made school like really interesting because and like the reason like I decided to go with computer engineering is because I thought that, you know, I wanted to learn everything like physics, math, computer science, electrical engineering, like all these things. And they actually don't let people do double majors in City College. So I figured computer engineering is a great compromise on all those things. And I definitely don't regret it. I think it was the best major for me. And so Like another thing about me is like, I'm very like observant about like people. And so whenever I was in classes, like I would always like find people really interesting, especially like smart people. And I would always like befriend them and just work with them and learn from them. And not that this was like a real venture, but right like before Neurovine, I actually met some like really smart students in one of computer science classes. And so we decided we're going to build a physics simulator in virtual reality. This was when like the Oculus came out. And so, you know, another thing that I'm passionate about is like education. And so I thought that like, oh, imagine you could 
instead of like, I guess this is kind of the math visualization thing that I was talking about before. It's like you could be in a world where you can see stuff, but you could actually see the equations like on the the ball, the arrow Mm. and stuff, you could throw it and, you know, it could make it like as advanced as possible. I mean, obviously at that time, I think technology would make it extremely difficult, but got into that. And then at that also time, I started working in like a computer vision lab. So I was like trying to do the sign language detection system where the computer could like detect sign languages. And it basically just became like just too much for me. And I just decided I'm not going to work on the virtual reality thing right now. Uh, I'm just going to focus on the computer vision. And then I just did that for a while. And then basically, I think it was the last year, like 2016, that's when I was in pretty challenging class called communication theory, which is really interesting. It's the science, it's the math of like waves that travel through the world. So if you want to know like, mm. how like Wi-Fi works and yeah. all these signals, like how does it work? It's like, that's huh. the class. And I ended up linking up with the, well, now my business partner, Adrian. And at the time, like we just were kind of, we've seen each other around. We talked a little bit, but we weren't really that close. And so I just remember that like one time I was like kind of studying my on my own in the library. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like too dense. And then I'm like, let me just call Adrian. Let's work together. And so he was really into it. And then once we started like working together, we realized that we had such chemistry in terms of just the way that our brains worked, because like he is like extremely good at a lot of stuff. Like he's very practical, has like a really deep understanding of like engineering. And then I have this kind of like futuristic like vision and also like a strong background in math. And so just basically us like putting our heads together made us really understand it better and just made it like fun. And so we were working in the library for like hours, like for the whole day and it was fun. And so I just remember, you know, obviously I kept him in mind a lot. And then there's this startup incubator at my school called the Zahn Incubator. And so a lot of colleges have something like that. And they basically have like a competition where you could either win 25000 or $50,000. And I went up to him and I asked, I was like, yeah, do you want to start a business together? And he's like, oh, yeah, what do you think? And he's like, do you have any ideas? And then I told him like, oh, I have this idea for like a book club app where like you could have an app and you could like read with your friends. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. But like, I want to do something that's like more like hardware related. Yeah. And so... I was, he's like, you have any like crazy ideas? And then I told him about like, you know, the skyscraper idea. And then he was like, well, you know what? There's actually this MIT project called the MIT Open Ag Food Computer. And they have like a blueprint. And so we could like build that and kind of try to sell it as like a farm in a box for your home. And basically we were like, okay, that's our idea. And we just went to the Zahn Center. We were like, hey, we want, we're computer engineers. We want to have a computer grow up plants. And that's pretty much it. And so they basically accepted us. And then we went on that journey. And that was pretty much like where Neurovine began. That's an amazing story. (laughs) I think it just, it shows the power of unrestricted and being able to think outside the box and just running ideas. And also, you know, synchronistically, like having the right people around you to sort of bounce these ideas around. Cause I imagine if you had tried to do something yourself, you would be limited by what was in your line of thinking. And the fact that he knew about this project and it's almost like the one plus one equals three equation here. Cause you got to really put your heads together. And so was that your first kind of like, other than hypothetically thinking about this idea of the sky- skyscraper, but that was, is that real really when like sort of like kind of whatever the metaphor is about hitting the pavement, but just like really like, figuring out what and learning what you need to know about the world of vertical farming and just kind of deep diving and starting to be acquainted with what had happened previously, what people were doing. And so was it just like a sort of like trial by fire at that point? Yeah, exactly. So everything before that was just all like in my imagination, right? And then I mean, with Adrian, we get into the program. And like, one of the great things is we like they push us, right? It's a startup incubator, right? So they're going to make you do things. They're going to make you do customer interviews. They're going to teach you about investing and all sorts of things. And actually, one thing that was pretty interesting is we ended up getting connected with this uh, guy, Dan Nelson, who he started his own company a little bit ago as well. But like initially, we were working together. And he was like an entrepreneur already. And he had been like, understanding like kind of the game of entrepreneurship, where you got to go to like a lot of networking events and like just 
reach out to people on LinkedIn and like do that sort of thing. So he was really helpful for us in the beginning. And we ended up just like signing up for trying to remember like what the groups I know, like agritecture had like some meetups. We definitely did some of those. And then we also got into cannabis. Like there was this thing called like Canagather. And so basically we went to that and we're actually like mostly in the cannabis industry now, funny enough, but that was definitely like the beginning of that experience. And so I think like the reason we are, I mean, it's just incredible, like where we are today, it's just completely all created from like these one-off interactions and then going deeper into them. And so it's quite a journey. So if you look at the, when you say you started it, this goes back to pre-COVID. And so I imagine there's been a lot that's happened. So can you talk a little bit about the journey company and anything you've had to do, whether pivots or shifts to kind of get you to present day? Yeah, that's a good question. So let's see. So 2017 was like when we were in the Zahn Center. So like in the school, they had an incubator there. Actually, that was like my last year of school. Adrian had like another year. So we ended up sort of staying in the Zahn Center for about like, let's say like a year or a year and a half. And then we ended up like having to move out and we ended up like moving into my apartment, which is where we are right now. So, I mean, it's a decent size apartment. It's not huge, but, you know, it was me. Adrian lived here. We had all our stuff. We had a nice grow tent where we were growing stuff. So it was pretty tight, but we were keeping it pretty lean. And yeah, we were doing like a lot of customer discovery and we got into a couple of like i programs from the National Science Foundation. So like, I mean, essentially like being in the Zahn program was definitely like a springboard because we had a chance to like pitch all the time. And then of course, sometimes the people listening to the pitches, the I guess the investors were, they had connections and stuff. And so that's how we got like from Zahn into these like i programs, which if you're not familiar, they're basically like, you have to do 100 customer interviews in eight weeks and you get money to do that. And so wow. we actually did that twice. We did one that was $3,000, which is like, you know, you're supposed to kind of do it in your region. And then there was another one that was like 50,000, which is like, you should be flying all over the country and going to places. And so we were lucky to do both of those. And we kind of had the idea already for what we were going to do in like I'd say in like 2017, we had the idea that we were going to do like a nutrient dosing system. Like that was kind of like, we're like, we were building the farm in the box, the MIT food computer. There was the startup competition. Like we won the competition because we built that. But we also said this thing costs like so much money and the technology is good, but it could do a lot more. And it's like a lot of components, right? Because a food computer is essentially just like a mini farm. And like you need all those same things on a larger scale. And so we were like, okay, well, we're going to focus on the nutrient dosing system component of it. I'm curious just about your thought process, because obviously there's folks on all stages of the journey, listening, entrepreneurs, and people getting started in this industry as well. But what was it that moved you from farm in a box to a dosing system? I'm just curious about the conversations you were having and how you made that decision. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So, I mean, like... During the startup competition, like, you know, of course, we're taking it all seriously and stuff. And we're just like, oh, my God, like, we're building this thing. Like, what is it going to do? Like, how can we sell it? Like, because we're learning about the 5x multiple. And it's like, oh, this thing's costing us like thousands of dollars to make. And then like, oh, what are we going to sell it for like 15,000 for someone's home? And, you know, we're just like, we weren't really sure what to do exactly. And so then we were like, you know what, let's just build like a really great pitch deck. And like, just build the computer so people can see that like, we can do something. And that was like, what allowed us to win the competition. And then in the pitch deck, we kind of were like, instead of having all the components like in a box, it's like, we're going to build like the modular system, like an IOT system. So it's like, you're going to have a light system, environmental sensors, like nutrient controllers, like all those things, we're going to build that. And so we had kind of that in mind. And then like funny enough, we ended up like there was like a summer accelerator as part of the same program. So we did that. And there was like one day where we had this like full day event where it's like, oh, we're going to all like figure out exactly what we're doing. And there was this guy came and he's like, oh, we got to like write all these ideas and then put them on post-its and then like organize them in like order of like importance on the wall. And like, you know, at the end, you have like one thing left. And it was like for us, it was like build a farm in City College. Like that was like 
the thing that I guess we were ended up on. And so we left and we actually went to like Brian Park and we're just sitting around and we're just like, we're not going to do that. Right. And he's like, no, nah, like we're not doing that. <laughs> and then Adrian, like just out of nowhere, I, I just remember him like, oh, like what about just like we focus on the water? And I was just like, yeah, the water. <laughs> and so That's- that was kind of like the beginning of that. And then we kind of started to like talk to some of our like people that we had met that could be potential customers and like. Our first idea, like funny enough, was this like almost like it kind of looked like a vacuum cleaner idea where you have a vacuum cleaner with the thing you, you pull around where basically it was like you have like a tube and like inside the tube, you have a bunch of smaller tubes and like each of those smaller tubes is like an individual nutrient. And then you also have this two sensors in there. So you could have the nutrient sensor and then the pH sensor. So you could put the nutrient sensor and the pH sensor into a bucket and it'll know like what nutrient and pH levels it should be. And it'll like add the nutrients and pH to the bucket. And you could like go around the farm and like do that. And like the vacuum cleaner aspect was like you had all the nutrients in there. And so like, you know, that was kind of the crazy idea. And then we kind of realized like we should be more going towards like a more standard thing, which is like, you know, like a paracelic pump dosing system, which there already are some of them. But we were like, you know, I think we could do one that's like a lot better. And so what's the distinction there for those that are not as familiar with maybe the pump systems or any, however, you know, that's considered hydraulics, but how do you make the decision and is, are there benefits of deciding of the decision you made to pick one system over the other? Well, I guess it like, how did we choose it initially? I mean, the food computer had paracelic pumps, like those are just okay. very basic pumps. So that it's just a motor if the motor turns and like inside the motor, like there's like a tube and like there's like this roll, these rollers and you can kind of imagine it's like a toothpaste squeezing kind of machine. Oh, okay. right? It's like squeezing stuff. And so like the motor turns on and it squeezes the stuff in it through. And so it's kind of simple and like cheap, but there's benefits like they're like high precision. They're like affordable. They're used in a lot of different applications, like even like in medical applications and stuff. And so we just decided to, to like work with that. One of the like as we've like gone into the industry more and gotten now we're competing against like all these other like big companies, right? We're literally competing against the top companies in our industry at this point. And there's mechanical pumps that are kind of more like using like the water pressure. It's like, oh, the amount of water that goes through it just it will manually dose based on the amount of water that's going through. Or there are some that are like diaphragm pumps where they're just kind of like jamming it into to a line. And so the certain benefits of those are that you can inject into like higher pressures, but they're a lot more expensive. And so what we've actually figured out is that with some clever fluid dynamics, you can use the paracelic pumps to solve just about any problem. And so like that's more the direction we're going in is that we have this pump system. We're focusing on like utilizing this system and like maximizing the benefits so that we could solve any problem for like as little as possible. Sounds like you had to become a pump expert <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of things. You definitely yeah. learn a lot of really great stuff in entrepreneurship that you know you might not necessarily learn in your classes. So you know, even like in school, like we didn't really learn a lot about like PCB design or you know 3D printing and stuff like that. So I definitely think that like if you're interested like in engineering, like doing a startup, even if you're not wanting to do that, just gives you like a really great like skill set that's very practical. So I kind of interrupted a couple of times that you were walking me through the timeline. So if you want to just pick up where you left off. there, Yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to be a lot of tangents. So anyway, I guess it's just kind of like hard for me to remember the entire like timeline back then, but essentially there was like multiple like customer discovery trips. So we learned a lot about what people were looking for. We met a lot of really cool people and it was especially fun for us too, because we actually did get like a lot into the cannabis industry, which is like, it's kind of like, really, it's like a fun industry, right? So it really like checked a lot of boxes for us because we were meeting interesting, we were meeting fun people, we were meeting people that were really interested in like plant science. You know, there was also like a ton of money in it back then as now it's getting a little bit more tight, just like vertical farming and all farming is. But people are just really excited about new technology, automation, and just the plant itself. Like I think that like cannabis farmers are particularly passionate about the plant just because it's like it's one crop but there's just so many different things that you can do with it and people are just thinking like so deeply into all the different nutrients all the different recipes controlling the environment there's just a ton there so it was a great experience with that 
And we sort of, through this process, we're like building our product and going through like multiple iterations. And like we were still like in, in the apartment, like this whole time, just kind of in and out and trying to remember exactly like the chronology. But essentially, there was a point where we were like, OK, we're now building like pretty solid versions of the system. We're trying to like get them out to some like early adopters. So I'd say this is around like 2019, say we were getting a couple of versions of the systems out to early adopters. And then kind of what happened was that Adrian, he really is passionate about like real estate and like wanting to like buy a house and like own it and like fix it up. And so kind of between the transition of 2019 and 2020, like he got a house and he got it for like $70,000. It was really cheap, but like a big house that you could turn into like a multifamily home. And so he got that and I helped him a bit like, you know, working on it. And kind of the plan was that I was going to stay in the city like part time and then go up there part time because I was also doing some like tutoring that's like been my side job for a while. And so we ended up like moving out all our stuff and moving it into one of the apartments in that house. And so I was going like back and forth for a while. And then when COVID hit in early 2020, I basically just decided that there's not a good reason for me to be in the city anymore. So pretty much I moved in there. And so during that time, it actually was, it worked out really well for us because we weren't that into the market yet. We were still like building our product. And so essentially just him and I spent like months just programming and building pretty much the version of the system that we have today, like an early version of it. Now that I'm kind of going back, like one of the issues that we had from before is we used to like hire people to do stuff. And like, for example, like with our web application, we hired like some web development agencies to do stuff. And like, we heard that, like we found out they're like, oh, they're using like Java for the back end. And we're like, why are you using such an old back end? And they're like, oh, we always use this. And so yeah. we ended up having to essentially like, we tried these different things and we kind of like threw out all of it and you know we just tried and threw it out tried and threw it out and so like 2020 was the year we're like okay we're really like not throwing this out and i mean we have kind of moved on to another version again after that funny enough but that version that we were building in 2020 was like the first version that we actually ever like sold commercially and we our launch of like our official product like the one you could kind of see behind me that was march 2021 so that was when we like we launched and i guess like another thing just you know hopefully the story doesn't get too complicated but like between me living in that house and then us selling the product we ended up like we started renting like this property that adrian was like managing for someone else like there was like a whole there's like an upstairs like apartment and there's like a downstairs like office and like no one yeah. was using it so we got like a really good deal on it it was like between maybe like 2,500 and square feet. And so then we just, we moved all our stuff in there and that's where we like really started to sprawl out. And that's where we were building the system for like a while until we launched it in March, 2021. What was that hiccup like during COVID? I'm just curious. I mean, I would just kudos to anyone who's kind of as a business owner myself, just kind of so many ups and downs and challenges and disruptions you know, and so just wondering and just curious, actually, just how you guys handle that or if that had any impact on what you were doing at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think like some people got lucky, some people didn't, unfortunately. And like, I think we were kind of in like the luckier position because we didn't really have a lot of expenses and we didn't have like a product that was being like sold. So him and I, we just woke up every day and like worked on the product. Like we were either writing software, working on the PCB, working on like the enclosure, just building and just kind of like being really focused, like not having like fun thing. Like you didn't have to have the guilt of like not going out or having fun. You're just like, oh, we're all supposed to like do like this. So, you know, I think we were really lucky that we had something to do that was like really important. So, you know, we got lucky with that. And then during like once we released it, I think things started people started to realize like, oh, it's not as like big as we thought it was. I mean, in a certain sense it is, but in a certain sense, people got used to it. And so then, yeah, I think from there, I think it just kind of like worked out pretty well for us. Could it, could it have gone better in some alternate reality, like possibly, but you never, you don't have that opportunity. 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time to take us through that journey. I think it just paints a great picture. It's inspiring for other people into space. And it also reminds people that there's no, it's not a direct path. It's never like a straight line. We did this and we ended up here. There's so many different things that are happening that some of it are synchronicities. Some of it is just kind of timing, luck, you know, a little bit. I think everyone needs a little bit of luck every now and then, but just also having that vision of where you want it to be. So for the listener and the viewer who may not be familiar with Neurovine, I got a little overview of it when we connected. I think it was at Indoor AdCon, which seems like such a long time ago because the, ne- the next one is coming up in March. <laughs> but can you give an overview of who is an ideal customer for Neurovine and sort of like what pain points you're solving? Yeah, so our main customers are people that are doing, let's say, like small to medium-sized indoor farms. And what we've really focused on is recirculating hydroponics because there's essentially like two camps when it comes to farming. There's like people that are recirculating the system, the water, and then there's people that are doing drain to waste. And so drain to waste is kind of what you call indoors. But if you think about like an outdoor field, you're just watering the plants, but you're not like recapturing the water. So essentially what our system does is it measures the components of the water and it will add the nutrients. It will adjust the pH It's very flexible in the way that it can dose because you don't want the plants to get like too much or too little. So kind of like the sweet spot we hit was people that were doing like these recirculating systems needed a system that was really advanced, really reliable that could handle like all of their needs. And so that we've kind of become like a little bit of like a monopoly in that sense. It's like someone's like, oh, I need like a dosing system for this type of application. We're definitely the ones to go for. But One of the things that we also learned is that most of our clients, especially like in the cannabis industry, are doing drain to waste systems. And so the type of doser that we have wasn't initially like, I guess the programming wasn't designed for drain to waste, but there's just so many people that needed it. So what we did was we actually built another module because when you're doing like, like a drip or drain to waste, it's kind of like the same thing. It's just two different ways of saying it. There's like multiple stages, right? Because one of the simple things about a recirculating system is it's just like, okay, here's a body of water. That body of water is just there for like a while. So you're just monitoring it, making sure it's fine. But when it comes to like a drip system, there's just multiple stages you have to take the water through. So like the first stage is you're taking the water, you're putting it into a container, like a tank. The second stage is you're going to be adding the nutrients, you're going to be adjusting the pH, adding whatever you need, making sure it's correct. And then like the third stage is you're actually like watering the plants. So what we did is this new module, which we call the Flux, it basically had all the different things that were needed to do that, right? And so with that is like valve control and additional sensors. So like the valve control, you can use like solenoid valves or ball valves. And essentially, we also have like a flow meter. So it's you open up a valve until like the flow meter reads like a certain amount of water, then that's done. And then you use the dosing system to do the dosing, which is kind of the same thing. Like now you've got the water, now the doser is like, in it's like sweet spot. And then once that's done, then you ask the flux again, hey, can you like send the water out to the plants? And it involves like another pump, which we don't make, but we've made the system to be really flexible to use with a lot of different pumps. So kind of essentially what we did was like the version one of the system, which we don't sell exactly this anymore, but it was like for like a year, it was like a very like, you've got EC and pH monitoring. And it's like, if the EC goes out of range, you add nutrients. If your pH goes out of range, you add pH solution. And then like, that's pretty much it. And so what we were doing was we were like, if people wanted to do this batch feeding, which is for a drip, like you would have to kind of like hack the system a little bit. Like you'd have to kind of make sure that like the readings would go out, would go out of range at the time you wanted to. Whereas now, because we have this complete system, we're in full control of it. And so that, and then kind of just learning from like all the customers and stuff throughout the years and just hearing everything that everyone wanted. Of course, we put something out there, you hear everything it doesn't do. So we built like a very flexible like logic system so it's kind of somewhere in between like a programming language and like a user interface where kind of the idea was like everyone's got all their different problems right everyone's got their own unique thing so we're like what we want to do is we want to be able to go into a farm and like solve someone's problem with this system that we never thought of so like 
because you think about it, like in a certain sense, like a programming language, like what do you got? You got a bunch of different like tools that you could use, right? And like a lot of these programming languages and you just put them together in a certain way. A lot of them are complete languages, which means you could build virtually anything you could think of from them. And so we're not quite there yet, but you think about it, you have sensors, you have pumps, you have valves. And it's like, if I want to like actuate some sequence of pumps and valves in some order at some time and have, I want to orchestrate all these different like automations, is that possible? And so what we've done is we built this thing called the automation core, which has these rules, which basically have a trigger and an action. So you're like, okay, here's a rule that has nothing in it right now. But then the trigger is if this is true, then do something. So that, and you could have multiple triggers. You could say, if this is the time of day and the sensor reading is this, then you would do actions and you can do like as many actions as you want. So you could have like a sequence of actions. So if you think about like the batch dosing system, it's like first action, fill the tank, second action, like dose the tank, third action, feed from the tank. And so... Yeah, that's kind of the idea behind the system. And of course, we plan to add a lot more features. Of course, there's still things that it doesn't do, but that's currently the framework that we're working with. I love the approach you take. And obviously, it comes from your engineering background, thinking outside the box and just looking at what some may think is something as simple as a dosing system, but applying like programming methodologies to it in a way that is proactive. And it sounds like there's a lot going on and they look really nice when they're the pictures you have on the website as well. So it sounds like that you've put a lot of thought to the form and function of it as well. What's been the feedback from the, these early installations or the current installations with clients? There's definitely like a whole a whole range of feedback, but I mean, a lot of people it completely like changed their lives because like one of the things that with dosing, it's like say even if you're like a person that has to deal with it on their own on a relatively small scale. This is like an activity that you need to do every day, right? So imagine like every day or even like twice a day, like you have this interruption in your day where you're like have to go out and you have to like check the water and you have to make sure that it has the correct nutrients and pH. And then, okay, you have to like put it in and like wait for the system to circulate. And and then, okay, that's good. And, you know, you could do that twice a day. But then imagine you're like, oh, you get this machine and then it does it continuously. And so it's not only do you get that freedom, which is because once you have like the dosing taken care of, it's like, okay, well, why do I have to go in there? In a certain sense, like, obviously, like there's the trimming, there's harvesting, but you can definitely spend instead of going every day, you could go every week or every two weeks. So there's that. And then we've also seen like a lot of improvements in yield. And I don't want to say like the system is entirely responsible for that, but it definitely allows that, right? Because like, say, you have like a recipe, say you have like an idea for, oh, this is a recipe that like, I think would be really good. Like if you have a machine like this, it's able to like replicate that like day after day. And then also say your job like is to like do this work or sometimes it takes you like hours a day. You're now not having to do that work anymore. And so you could spend your time instead of just doing manual labor, you can start to do research and you can start to learn stuff. So it's like, now you can like learn more stuff and you have a machine that can like carry those things out. And so like through those iterative processes, like we've had customers say they've gotten like 15% increases in their yields. That's great. And I noticed that you have different, is it nutrients that you're applying or introducing in, into the mix? Is that proprietary blends or, or is these things that you're working with? Could you plug in like nutrients from other vendors as well to the system? Yeah, absolutely. So we're definitely, we're not like a nutrient manufacturing company where we focus on, like our goal really is to be able to be in every farm, right? We yeah. want to make something that like everyone would be like, oh, this is a no brainer. So we built like a system that can handle like any nutrients that are, I would say like the only nutrients that I think you couldn't really like realistically use would be a powdered nutrient, which you could not keep in a solution for very long. But essentially a lot of companies, they have liquid nutrients so you can connect the liquid nutrient in a bottle connect it to the pump and then the pump will disperse that nutrient the really cool thing like another one of the benefits of the parasaltic pumps is it's like the nutrient liquid never interfaces with the actual pump mechanism it's just being kind of squeezed through a tube so that means that there's going to be a lot less like potential for like clogging and then a lot of other clients because it is more cost effective will buy like big bags of nutrient salts 
And so what they have to do is they take the salt, they have to put it into water, create a solution. But a lot of these salts are stable in a liquid for multiple weeks. So you could essentially just use that connected to the pump. But in addition to that, you can use like thick, viscous nutrients. Like sometimes we'll go to trade shows and go to like the nutrient companies. They're like, oh, yeah, you can't use this nutrient in a doser and then i'm like let me see it let me see your like most disgusting nutrient and then you know we'll connect it to the machine and it works and they're like oh okay well i guess you can recommend us now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good to know yeah that was really helpful thank you for kind of painting that picture because i think it's helpful for the listener the viewer to guess figure out how this could be a fit for what they're doing and what pain points you're solving so that's helpful and i'm definitely going to encourage folks to visit the site. What's been the experience and the feedback? I know we did connect at Indoor Icon. Have you continued to attend conferences? Do you see that as something that's helpful for you to get more feedback from prospects and customers about what you're working on? Yeah, so we did a lot of conferences in the past, I'd say like throughout our entire career. And I think it was maybe like 2020 where we started actually, or not 2020, but like 2021 where we started attending. And I think we did where we started like showcasing our products. And I actually think we, we did a little bit in 2019 as well, if I remember. But yeah, it's been enormously helpful because like one of the things that we think about because of our like I-Core training of this customer discovery process is like the opportunity to talk to a customer is like way more valuable than like just the money that like, they could potentially give you. It's like the insight that you get. And like when you get to go to a show and you get to talk to people and you get to ask them what they're interested in or what are they doing and capture all of that information, that really helps you or at least it helped us with that mindset, like know where to go. So we feel like we're always kind of doing research in a sense on our product development throughout going to trade shows, obviously any type of like internet marketing things that we do, which is mainly just social media. When we have the chance to talk to customers, do like sales calls, anything there is like, that's all these ideas, all these features that I'm telling you about this whole like complex system that we've developed. It's all because of like all the people that like we've talked to. And so there's obviously like the data aspect of it. And then there's also just like the connections, of course. And you definitely get a chance to meet a lot of really interesting people that could potentially be customers and some of them do become that so we've done a lot of it and actually we did take a little bit of a break in the past like few months because we did a lot of shows last year and we realized that we needed to work on some of our internal systems more so for example like our like website it's you know our website's like really nice but we don't have like it's not really designed for like marketing and like seo and that sort of thing and so the thing about like the trade shows is you get like a lot of leads and you have all these opportunities. But if you don't have like this really great like internal system to manage everyone better, then it almost you lose you leave a lot of money on the table. And so we've decided that we're going to be working on a couple of our internal systems to make sure that our online presence is better. And I think that'll be like several months. And then once we feel really good on that, then we'll start going back to shows with our new perspective so in terms of like indoor adcon i think we're gonna we're gonna pass on it this year but we'll probably do it next year and then i foresee like quite a renaissance for us in like going to like a ton of shows and getting out there especially to other parts of the world i mean you definitely as much as you think you know or at least as much as i think i know like i also realize that i may be in a bubble in in a certain sense because of course we've gone into like the cannabis industry a lot and And I find myself like going to like Michigan very often because we have a lot of customers there and it feels like there's a lot of opportunities there. But part of it may be that because I already have so many opportunities there that I know like about them, you know, I know like, oh, what's available to have a lot of connections. Like you could just put me in Michigan and like I'd be able to survive off of like networking for a month or something like that. So I think that opportunity is probably like in a lot of other places in the world and you know, maybe even more so. And so I think going to the shows really gives you that chance to like see a new area, connect with new people and then like start to like, you know, expand your network and learn new things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've had the privilege of attending AgriMe in Dubai in 2022 and Vertifarm in Germany and thanks to support from my sponsors. But there was just, again, to your point, eye-opening about what's happening in other parts of the world. You know, you, go, you see the MENA region, in the Middle East and 95% of their food gets imported. And so like this is top of mind for them and they have different challenges and you get to see like people who are raising and growing fodder for camels indoors, which is a big need when you look at that part of the world and you get to hear stories about like these 
sheiks with like thousands and thousands of camels in their stable and just you're learning and it's just eye-opening you think about problems to solve or you look at it from a different perspective when you see some of the other challenges that people in other parts of the country face so i think as you start to expand that and do see some of these other conferences abroad i think it'll be pretty eye-opening and probably opening up some whole bunch of new avenues for you as a company as well where are you guys in terms of like are you looking to fundraise? Are you growing? I'm just curious where you're at in your in the company's journey. Yeah, so I mean that's like something that we've been like I guess it's always been something we've thought about, but we've always been like pretty like focused on just like building the company like organically in a sense. So, you know, we built we created a lot of value and we sold the product and we used the sales to hire people and to continue iterating on the system and, and develop that. And so we're always like, you know, because at this point, like one of the issues I would say is that like we're not moving fast enough, right? Like, you know, we have, of course, we have like a dosing system that's like awesome and people love it. And people are asking us, like we have a list of all these other things that like we could do. And I think the reason that we can't do them is because we are like financially restricted. And so I definitely would like money. And I think if there's someone that could like see value in it, and I guess like in a certain sense, what would I be doing right now? I'd say I'm doing like a passive fundraise. So I'm just saying like, hey, if anyone's interested, we're definitely open to having that discussion. But I'm not, if I'm going to think about my time and I'm like, should I be working on like my pitch deck and like reaching out to investors or should I be working with my employees or like working with my customers? I just work on my business. That's kind of where we're at. But no, I do foresee like doing a fundraise like pretty soon and just... Because, I mean, the system, like, if you think about, like, what it is and, like, what it can be, I mean, it's quite an exponential thing in terms of, like, I mean, if you think about the type of system that we have, like, it's just, like, a dosing system. And there's a lot more that we could do with just that. But then there's also, like, the environmental control. And that's definitely something that customers are like, oh, like, do you do environmentals? And then, you know, we say no. And if you did have an environmental control system combined with a dosing system, it's definitely, like, a lot nicer And then obviously, like, as you know, your software becomes like more advanced and like more intelligent, you're able to utilize not just the environment may just make you make a decision on how you want to dose the plants, right? And so like having like that complete picture, the environment and the water would allow the system to make decisions that are more optimal. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot on your roadmap and there's a lot of ideas about where it could go. So what is a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? I mean, I feel like I kind of answered it in a certain sense before. I'm just like, you know, if every day I'm like, is, should I be raising money? Should I be mm-hmm. focused on raising money? Or should yeah. I be do it working with what I have? I'd say like one of the issues is when you're dealing with, when you have less money, you have to try to like work with like less. And like sometimes having a smaller budget means you have to like, you know, you can't work with like the people maybe that you would really like. And I think that Because I kind of imagine, and I'm sure this is true to an extent, it's like if you have people that are really fantastic, like you don't have to like think too much about what they're doing. Like you have to be like, oh, you know, this person, I'm like, go make us more business like somewhere, you know, or something like say they're a really great like marketer or salesperson, you know, you can really just let them do their job and like figure stuff out. Whereas if someone's like less experienced and lower budget, you feel that you need to be more involved in it. And like, then it takes a lot of time. And then there's almost the question is like, should I just do it like myself? Or should I like, sometimes like you have to realize like maybe it's worth it just to do something yourself than to hire someone that you need to help like so much. And so I think that really being able to have an expanded team, just a, a better team, I think that would be really great. And, you know, that's definitely something that I kind of miss in a certain sense of being like in, like in school, even like, you know, I was saying how, I loved like smart people, like seeing the opportunity to like be with smart people and then like see them and like befriend them. And and, like now I have like my friend and business partner, Adrian, like we got to meet there. And like now I'm not like feeling like I'm really in the same like position. I feel like I'm just kind of like isolated. I'm like, we're just working, we're building the business, we're selling it. But I think there's a lot more out there. So I definitely would be very much open to like kind of expanding that journey and finding the people that you know, want to work on this technology because I mean, honestly, there's just so many incredible things. I mean, we're excited about like going to like outer space and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, actually building like massive farms that are like really disrupting the conventional agriculture industry, like actually solving that problem, even doing like reforestation and stuff, because, you know, it's all like a big equation, really. And if you think about the amount of land that we're using for conventional farming, it's so much. 
that if we could redo the way that we're growing food, we would have a lot of that land left over to maybe turn back into like a forest and like maybe use some of the same technology that we are using to grow food inside to like regrow the forest a lot faster and then hopefully like restore our environment and hopefully like slow down climate change and make the world back into like a beautiful utopia that we can all enjoy. I love how you just kind of brought everything back full circle to that. So it was a nice way to kind of put a ribbon on the entire conversation. So I appreciate that. I've been leaving a couple of minutes at the conversations for any messages, any thoughts you have for the vertical farming industry. Cause you know, obviously there's a lot of leaders in the space listen to the show. And so I always like to kind of keep the conversation going. So any thoughts you have for the CEA or indoor farming community? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, I think that like a huge change that's like coming is like artificial intelligence. And I think that like, cause like, Vertical farming, there's like a lot of challenges and it's just a big factory, really. It's like you have like this factory and you have inputs, they have certain costs and then you have like outputs, which is like your product. And obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. But, you know, the reason that farms have like such issues is because it's hard to like manage like all these like variables and like all these things that are happening and stuff. And so, you know, with artificial intelligence, of course, like the systems the farms will become more intelligent. I mean, that's something that like we're really excited about is like kind of building out this platform. I'm not saying we're going to build like the AIs themselves, but we're building like the platform for the AIs to like live on and then help to like make those decisions. And kind of like what I was saying before is that if our system was able to like all work together and like if it all you could control these little variables and all these knobs, if you had something that was like really smart doing that, then and it knows what it's trying to optimize for then it continue to like create like better yields and save time and save resources and all those things so it really like intelligence is the thing that solves like all the problems in a certain sense it's like all these atoms being arranged in a better way and like of course there's like a lot of atoms and stuff but but you can obviously break those things into like higher level concepts and they become less but the thing with machines is they can do such an incredible amount of processing that there's no way we can really conceive of that. And the difficulty with the machines is getting them to like understand like what they're doing. And so now they're really starting to understand. And like, you know, we're only a few short leaps away from the machines, like really understanding. And so I really think that like, that's really going to be the future where like, you know, robots are like really controlling the farms like and right now it's like okay the robots are a lot on like the software side but like there's also like the hardware side too and we're talking about like because if you think about like say like chat gpt it's like oh it can assemble like bits in a way that like is useful right it's assembled these bits in a way oh now this thing wrote me like a nice essay or something right? yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like okay well what about in the future when the robots can assemble like atoms in a certain way, can it start to like build things, right? So imagine that like the cost of like building things was like a lot less, right? And so all these things can be optimized a lot with greater intelligence and like more intelligence living in these systems is going to allow them to be more optimal. So I think that really is the future. It's not in a certain sense, it's kind of scary. I think people are, I'm not sure how everyone feels about it. Like, I think it's quite a existential question in a certain sense it's like the meaning of our existence but it there's definitely like a lot of really great challenges in the world us doing everything we can we've done a lot of great things but we've also we're also struggling in a lot of ways and i think the overall outcome of having the machines be more intelligent will end up making people overall happier and like less suffering and the world would be in a better place because just from my like perspective on like the machines themselves like there's not like evidence of them like wanting to like be like evil it's only like people using them for evil right that's true yeah because you would think that like oh if a machine was going to be evil we'd start seeing these evil machines that are like kind of dumb but evil and it's like we haven't seen like the dumb evil machines so it's like well what what makes you think that they're going to be like evil like when they get smart so i think that like they're going to be good. And I think what actually is really important is that we harness the technology for good. And so that's kind of why it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm like, you know, it's now become like part of my vision of like, okay, make sure we have like a really great platform that the machines can utilize to optimize systems and make sure that these are working on problems that are like 
going to have like a really great benefit to humanity and the rest of the world. I love that vision. And I think it's very inspiring and it's very motivating for people that are entering the space to see what's possible and not be limited by what's been done before and just kind of having this blue ocean mindset when, you know, in terms of thinking through and solving these problems. So I'm very glad we got to meet. It's been probably a year since we actually like had a brief <laughs> interaction at the booth, but I held on to your card and I wanted to connect with you. And so I'm glad we got everything scheduled and I'm really happy to have a chat with you and just to kind of learn what's happening. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Yeah, and I really appreciate you having me. Like, I do remember when we met at the show and I was always hoping that you would reach out. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of the episodes and a lot of people that I knew in the space were on it. And that's great. I think you did a really good job. Like I remember that even during this podcast, I was like, oh, these things are getting out of the way. But I think you did a really good job of like organizing it and getting all the, the yeah. good out of the conversation. Yeah, you get a, you see you kind of see a lot of threads happening, and just in my mind, I'm just kind of pulling, trying to remember. I'll just drop something on a post-it note. I was like, I got to pull that back in, but I think you helped kind of coordinate that and weave that back into a, just a really great story. So thanks again. If folks want to connect with Neurovine, where's the best place to send them? Well, if you want to just check stuff out, I'd say Neurovine.com or follow us on Instagram. If you send us a message on Instagram, we'll totally get back to you. And Neurovine, N-U-R-A-V-I-N-E. That's good. Thanks again for your time, Alex. I really appreciate it. Thank you too, Harry. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening. Eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned, and also a back catalog of all our past episodes. Special thanks to our title sponsor, Bio520. Bio520 is based on the deep knowledge of plants developed over centuries across Asia, extracting some of the very best minerals in the world from the lush, rich mountain ranges in Japan and using highly effective non-chemical agricultural practices in combination with the most advanced cutting-edge biophysics technology. Bio520 is one of the most advanced, truly organic mineral compounds your crops will ever experience. Learn more at bio520usa.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To hear all past episodes and read the episode summaries, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.